Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. Having recently read through Numbers and come across the story of Balaam again, I was very intrigued by it, and so that's why this recording is called Thoughts on Balaam. The incidents involving Balaam are given in a lot of detailed specifics, and at first reading, they just seem odd. They don't seem to fit. We've never heard of Balaam before. He's given no prior connection to Moses or the Israelites, and in fact, he has no personal interest in them. But you may remember that Balaam is referred to in a few other places in the Bible, a couple of them in the Old Testament and about three of them in the New Testament. So I looked those up to compare them with the story. So here is a list of all the places in the Bible that mention Balaam, along with a brief description of how he is mentioned. So first, we have Numbers chapters 22 through 24, and this is the original story, except that his death is not mentioned until later. And then in Numbers chapter 31, verse 8, it mentions that he is killed in battle, the battle between Israel and Midian. And then in Numbers 31, 16, Moses speaks in a derogative way about Balaam because he counseled Midian to get Israel to commit trespasses against the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, Balaam is mentioned as for hire to curse people, but God turned to those attempts into blessing. And then in Joshua chapter 13, verse 22, the slaying of Balaam is recounted. And then in chapter 24 of Joshua, verses 9 and 10, Joshua mentions this same thing in his farewell address. I was surprised to see Balaam mentioned in Nehemiah 13, verse 2. I have read Nehemiah a few times, but I guess for some reason that didn't stick with me that Balaam is mentioned as being hired to curse them as they read through the book of Moses. And to then again in Micah chapter 6, verse 5, Yahweh is speaking through Micah and saying, that he has a controversy with his people and that they have not followed him. And he mentions Balaam as an example that he has saved them from. If you are familiar with the verses in Micah that talk about uh, what the Lord requires of you, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what is right. Um, that comes right after this reference to Balaam. Then in the New Testament, we have 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, where Balaam is compared to those who have forsaken the right way and loved the wages of unrighteousness. And then in Jude, which is only one chapter, one short letter, verse 11, Balaam is mentioned in a list of very expressive comparisons to ungodly men who have crept in secretly to the church. He is bookended by a comparison to Cain, who was a murderer, and Korah, who you will remember instigated the arrogant rebellion against God's chosen Moses and then was swallowed by the earth in a display of clear judgment. And then lastly, Balaam is mentioned in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, in the letter to Pergamum, where they have some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, 
who taught Balak to throw a stumbling block before the children of Israel, which was leading to idolatry and sexual immorality. So, for starters, you can see that Balaam is always used as a negative example. Again, two times in the Old Testament in Nehemiah and Micah, and three times in the New Testament. Balaam is specifically referred to to make a point about a person who made wrong choices and who led others astray. So, let's take a look at the original story of Balaam again. Here is Balaam, not part of Israel, whom God has centered on. They are his chosen people, Israel, but Balaam knows he hears from God, and he is not the least surprised. Not only that, but other people know he has special words that he hears from God, and that he can even curse in the name and the power of God. This seems to strongly imply a couple of things. One, people other than Israel still had a knowledge of God. Even though God had chosen to work specifically through Israel, he had communicated with others. Secondly, it apparently direct, obvious, supernatural revelation did not dissuade people from rejecting God in order to pursue their sinful desires. It certainly didn't dissuade Balaam. The particular conflict at hand involved Midian and Moab, and it's interesting to look a little bit into who exactly they are. Midian was descended from Keturah, Abraham's second wife. And also there's the connection that Moses dwelt in the land of Midian when he fled Pharaoh, and Moses' father-in-law was the priest of Midian. And if you look in Exodus chapter 18, verses 10 through 12, Jethro praised God and sacrificed to him and recognized him for who he was. The connection between Midian and Moab starts way back in Genesis chapter 36, where Midian is killed. The the man himself, Midian, was killed in the field of Moab. And then in Numbers 22.4, which is where the story of Balaam is, it speaks that Balak was the king of the Moabites, and it was the elders of Moab and Midian that were sent to talk to Balaam. And just one other interesting connection in Judges chapter 7, verse 14, Gideon fought against the Midianites. Now, as for Moab, Moab was born from the incestuous relationship between Lot and his first daughter. And then in Numbers chapter 21, Sihon overthrows the former king of Moab. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 6, Moses is buried in the land of Moab. Also in the Old Testament, there is quite a string of conflicts that the Israelites have with Moab, including when God used Moab as a way to discipline Israel, who was fully involved in doing evil. Then it's interesting to note that Ruth was from Moab. And sadly, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 17, Solomon built places of worship and sacrifice for the god of Moab, who's called Chemosh, and that is spoken of as an abomination of Moab. In the prophecies of Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Moab shall be as Sodom, and there are many prophecies in both Isaiah and Jeremiah. Chapter 48, verse 42, it speaks about Moab's pride. So Israel has a a long history of various types of connections with Midian and Moab. But when we first hear of Balaam, it is in the context that everyone knows he is for hire. 
Compare this to Abraham or Elisha, who openly refused such payments when something was obviously a gift or by the power or blessing of God. They didn't want to take any of that glory or have anything said that might diminish God's glory. And then there was Paul, who worked to avoid being a burden. So Balaam is in quite contrast to that. Next, when Balaam first asks God about going, the answer is no. The next time the men come again to ask him, he puts on a show of seeking God, but he already had an answer. And this time it's like God says, in essence, fine, if you want to go. But we see that God makes it clear that Balaam should only bless Israel, and God has deep displeasure at Balaam continuing to pursue this, which is dramatically displayed by the angel with the sword, which leads to the abuse of his donkey because he is feeling humiliated and mocked. Then in a very strange twist of the story, the donkey gets to talk, and weirdly, Balaam doesn't seem surprised nor does he seem surprised by the angel. In fact, he is the only example in the Bible that I can think of offhand where an angel appears and the angel doesn't say, do not be afraid. Balaam is supposed to be afraid. So after he sees the angel, he admits his sin, but not really in repentance. It's sort of like, oh, you caught me, kind of admitting the sin. And he offers to go back, But no one reading thus far believes that his heart is contrite or even really sincere in the offer to go back. For the next two chapters of Numbers, we have the very specific account of seven altars, each with a bull and a ram sacrificed on them. And in chapter 23, verse 4, the words, God met Balaam. So again, we have here that God is communicating with him even in the midst of his rebellion and his bad choices. Now, even Balaam, in his rebellion and greed, cannot curse that which God has blessed. The account there in Numbers tells us that Balaam worked with the king of Moab, Balak, who was getting more desperate, and they tried three times to find a way to curse Israel. Balak is afraid of God's people. They try different locations, and they try to manipulate the outcome. And finally, Balak is enraged and makes the strange statement, quote, Yahweh has kept you back from honor. Balak seems willingly blinded to the difference between the blessings or rightness of doing according to Yahweh and man's honor. And you could say Balaam is confused about it too, because even though he says he can't say anything other than what God says he can say, you'll find out later that he really does not honor God. And he cares more about the honor from men and, as the other passages indicate, the wages of unrighteousness. So as mentioned in Numbers chapter 31, we learn that the whole affair did not end with trying to curse Israel that while Balaam could not curse them in the name of Yahweh, he could tell Balak how to lure them away from the true God and into judgment to weaken them. Not everyone in Israel sins by becoming involved in the idolatrous immorality. And isn't it noteworthy how so many false belief systems glorify immorality? Some of the people of Israel weep for the sin that is going on, and God begins to purge Israel with a plague. Then Phinehas, the priest, the son of Eliezer, reacts to a man flaunting just right in front of their faces as they're weeping there. 
This man comes up with a Midianite princess apparently engaging in immorality, and Phineas puts a sword right through them, and God blesses Phineas for this act and stops the plague. Soon after that, God instructs Moses to tell the children of Israel to execute Yahweh's vengeance on Midian, and it is during that battle that Balaam is killed, right along with a bunch of Midianites and the kings of Midian. The death of Balaam is also recounted in Joshua 13, verse 22, and Joshua chapter 24, verses 9 and 10. His error, or sin, is mentioned multiple times. You see, Balaam had every opportunity to hear from God and follow him. Instead, he chose to lead God's chosen people into desperate sin so that he could have money and worldly honor. When you compare the references to Balaam in 2 Peter, in Jude, and in Revelation to the story of Balaam, they help you get a better understanding of everything. In 2 Peter and Jude, the false teachers are compared to Balaam, who was secretly bringing in destructive heresies. They were exploiting with deceptive words. They were uttering great swelling of words of emptiness. They entice. They promise liberty while they themselves are bond servants of corruption. They are murmurers and complainers, their mouths speaking with great swelling words. They are mockers walking after their own ungodly lusts. These are those who cause divisions and are sensual, not having the spirit. The word sensual here does not indicate immorality, but living life through physical senses, looking for feelings and experiences rather than walking in the spirit. It's along the lines of saying, well, this feels right to me, so the Bible needs to be wrong. All of this puts in perspective Jude's words in verse 3 at the very beginning of his letter where he says, contend for the faith. This doesn't mean that they need to fight for their faith in order to have their salvation. This means they have to have a strong, bold voice for the truth in the face of the false teachers that are going to be mentioned. They need to be uncompromising and speak against heresies. And then he says, for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The gospel was clear and complete from the start of the church. For us, Balaam is a picture of heresy and the way it is used to beguile people away from listening to the truth of the gospel. We are supposed to be aware wise as serpents, as it says other places, of those who try such things. For the good of all, especially those we fellowship with, we are to stand against such and contend for the one and only true gospel revealed in God's word for the salvation of any who will answer the call. Thank you for letting me share my thoughts with you. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 